The Brood 10 podcasts made possible by support from Mount St. Joseph University School of Behavioral and Natural Sciences, cultivating an understanding and appreciation of the creative and critical nature of scientific thought. Climb higher at the Mount. Learn more at msj.edu. Welcome to the Brew 10 Cicada Podcast. I'm Corey Sharper. So I'm told periodical cicadas are coming. A once in two decades phenomenon of billions of noisy winged insects emerging, breeding, and disappearing in the span of just weeks. And apparently around here, it's a pretty big deal. Here at Cincinnati Public Radio, we want to be your source for everything you could possibly want to know about these creatures. However, my producer and I admittedly aren't from here. While we've heard all kinds of rumors and stories, we've never experienced the emergence of this massive periodical cicada brood firsthand. So we invited the expert in research on this particular cicada emergence, known as Brood 10, to teach us everything there is to know alongside you, the listener. Our guide on this journey will be the Dean of Behavioral and Natural Sciences and Professor in the Department of Biology at Mount St. Joseph University right here in the Queen City and PhD of Entomology, Dr. Gene Kritsky. Before we start, let me tell you, Gene loves studying these fascinating insects, and he thinks by the end of our series of conversations over these next 10 weeks of Brew 10's emergence, we all will too. In this first episode, we're ready to learn the basics. What are periodical cicadas? What should we expect, and how do we prepare? Hey everyone, this is Corey Sharper from WVXU here at Cincinnati Public Radio. I'm here with my main man, Gene Kritsky, the cicada expert. Gene, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing good too. I'm sneezing a little bit, but you know, that's it's part of the spring fever. But on top of spring fever, we're preparing for cicadas to emerge again. Uh, I'm used to cicadas buzzing in my ears every year when I'm trying to mow the lawn, but this year is supposed to be a little special. Now, let's just start off from the top though, for people that aren't familiar with the bug kingdom like myself, what are cicadas? Tell me like what makes these bugs different from all of the other bugs? Certainly, glad to. Uh, the cicadas belong to the insect order Hemiptera. And that's the last time I'll get technical on this point. <laughs> Hemiptera include things like bed bugs and stink bugs and aphids. And these are insects that have sucking mouth parts. They literally puncture either a plant or an animal and suck fluids. The cicadas belong in their own family within that group the family Cicadidae, and there are up close to 3,000 species worldwide. But what we have here in the eastern U.S. are some things special, and those are the periodical cicadas. And when I when I think of, you know, bed bugs and, and cicadas, I never think of those two things in the same category. Now, bed bugs, you don't ever want to have bed bugs in your house. Cicadas, well, I don't want to have them in my house either, but the bed bugs, they, they tend to hurt more. Cicadas, can they, they hurt people? Are they... Are they nice bugs, I guess, in a sense? The cicadas do not spread disease. They won't sting humans. They won't bite humans. Uh, and fr- I, right now I have several hundred cicadas in my house, although they're all pinned in, in insect okay, boxes. Right. <laughs> so, but uh, they're not going to cause any kind of threat. They're not going to carry away your children. Uh, there's something to look forward to. And uh, don't we have cicadas every year, though? I mean, like, this... With Brew 10, it's, it, everyone's making a really big deal out of it. But, you know, how are these cicadas different from the typical cicadas you, 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 know, you find in the yard every year? Oh, we do have cicadas every year. We have, uh, and we can b- broadly classify them as annual cicadas and periodical cicadas. Uh, 
The annual cicadas, we'll start with those, are, are bigger than periodical cicadas. They have, they're mostly black and green and brown, almost look like a camo, camouflage colored, if you will. Mm. And they, uh, their eyes are going to be green or black. Uh, and uh, they'll have, a, if you look straight down on them, you'll see almost like a, a straight line between the eyes. On the other hand, the periodical cicadas have bright red eyes. And they'll have what looks like a little point between the eyes where the, the, their, their face extends. And their bodies are all black. And they've got wings that are have major veins colored as orange. And that uh, makes them stand out quite a bit. But we can also separate them in two other ways. Uh, one, the annual cicadas start emerging usually in early July and come out up and through. It'll be out through early October. Whereas the periodical cicadas will start coming out earlier. They'll come out in late April, early May, and extend through the uh, through June. So how how do these cicadas? How do they appear? Why do they appear differently from normal cicadas? Like what changes are going on with these cicadas compared to usual ones to make you know their their you know bright red eyes and all the other changes in their appearances? Well, that has to do. With, we we we've got other cicadas worldwide that are brightly colored. It's part. It's mm. basically uh, related to the uh, uh, the the genetic makeup of the insects. They're not closely related to the others. Not like sister species. Right. Uh, so we're going to find uh, physical differences in their coloration. So when when is all of this? going to start what what are the signs that we're getting close to seeing the emergence of brood, brood 10 well first thing we'll start seeing will be uh later this uh later in april early uh, mid to late april we'll start seeing chimneys little mm. uh, extensions of their mud of their tunnels that they have underground and after that's usually after a big heavy torrential rain not necessarily a once in a century rain like we seem to have every every year <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, uh, a very good downpour and as water starts to fill up their tunnel, the cicadas crawl up. And when they get to the ground level, they don't want to be exposed yet. So they, they extend their tunnel with these little balls of mud. They're, we mm -hmm. call them chimneys. And uh, after, after the rain stops and the water sort of seeps through, drains through the, the tunnel, the cicadas will turn around and go back down again. But those chimneys will remain. So if you look under a deck or you look under the eaves of a, of a, a building, or even I've found, found them under uh, wooden pallets that uh, had enough space for them to build these, these uh, extensions. That's, that's the first thing we'll see. And that'll be in, that can start as early as mid-April, mid-April through late April. And then it's watching the temperature. Uh, we need to uh, monitor how warm it's getting. That's one of the things that's exciting about this year in particular. The cicadas emerge once the soil temperature reaches 64 degrees Fahrenheit. And that usually occurs the second or third day that we have a high temperature in the low 80s and a low temperature in the in the 50s. Uh, ironically, though, this year, that's going to happen in April. Right. We're lo looking at the, so this is going to be an interesting thing, thing to see what happens as this, as April progresses. And, and, you know, and speaking of that, you know, the temperatures have been, you know, have been have been going up and up every every year for the past five years, it seems, especially around this time. So, I mean, What's the earliest we've ever seen an emergence of a particular cicada during, you know, well, during the usual times? In 2017, we had some, some, not the main push of the emergence, but some cicadas emerge on April 27th. And so that was quite a surprise. We were getting adult cicadas appearing, you know, one or two here and there uh, in the region of, uh, of where we expected the, the 2017 emergence to take place. That was quite a bit earlier. Uh, back uh, before 1950, and one of the things I've done is 
gone through the literature and letters and what have you and tried to find somebody who wrote down, the cicada started today. <laughs> and, and then with that, I would get uh, uh, weather data and uh, try to find out, is there a correlation? When in the yeah. month of May will they emerge? And prior to 1950, the average is around the 28th, 29th of May, quite a bit later. Since then, especially the last 30 years, uh, the cicadas are coming out now around the 16th of May, more than two weeks earlier. And yeah. that that's kind of interesting. And it's not surprising. We're seeing, you know, the gar the growing seasons are shifting. We're seeing the planting zones are moving north because of the uh, increasing temperatures. And what's the, when was the last time we had an emergence of a particular brood like this? Like when and where did it, did it take place? Well, we had brood 10 back in 2004. And uh, it has a large distribution. Uh, brood 10 is, is found uh, here in, in Ohio, on the western part of the state of Ohio, throughout almost the entire state of Indiana. The, uh, uh, in fact, in the past, uh, Indiana's had brood 10 cicadas in every county. Uh, it'll extend into northern Kentucky, usually the two or three counties in and along the Ohio River. Uh, and then scattered uh, uh, emergences in eastern Kentucky, and then drop down. There'll be a good population emerging east of Knoxville. Scattered emergences through the central part of the state, and then Chattanooga, north of Chattanooga and south of Chattanooga, will have some coming out. And then western North Carolina will have a nice, nice pocket. And then we have a gap, and then we move east, and the th southeast quarter of Pennsylvania, including Philadelphia, uh, parts of New Jersey, uh, New York. Uh, and Delaware will have cicadas emerge, but uh, nearly the entire state of Maryland will have brood 10 cicadas. And then if just a few scattered spots in Virginia. Are there, are there any particular reasons why brood 10s are only found in these specific parts of the country? Like, is it due to the climate or is it just simply due to the amount of time they have to, to go other places? That's one of the things I've been studying for over 40 years now is why do we have broods where we have them? And, uh, it appears to be related in part to uh, uh, what was going on in the evolution of cicadas during the Ice Age. Uh, the cicadas were south of the ice sheet. And so let's take Western Cincinnati as an example. We had uh, uh, the glacier just about 20 miles north of where I'm sitting. And there were no cicadas there because there was no forest there. It was a giant mass of ice. Mm. 14,000 years ago, that ice sheet had moved up north of Toledo and the forest came in with them. And so we see the uh, cicadas coming into the forest. Where that glacier ended across the uh, eastern United States played a role in how the cicadas moved northward. It's just crazy to think like how how much of the world has changed in that amount of time and just everything lined up to where we have all these bugs coming here and now we have to deal with <laughs> now we have to deal with <laughs> oh, we're just lucky i guess <laughs> well you know yeah i guess so but you know what what should what should we do to prepare i mean are we looking at you know a massive amount of bugs coming to the region are we looking at you know just them just they're just being bigger than usual like what what should we do to prepare well preparation is is to get excited to get excited <laughs> that they're coming to get ready to enjoy it uh these are are once in a generation events and uh I, I was talking with uh, someone just a few days ago who remembered that they were six years old when they emerged. And this is the first time he's going to see one as an adult. And, uh, of course, the worry about that is uh, not they're going to harm you, but they're going to seem smaller because you're bigger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, these things have a big impact on kids. And uh, it's, a, it's a teaching moment for parents. Uh, you can think of it as a David Attenborough special in your backyard. 
get the get the kids excited about this. Go out. It's after dark. They'll they'll be running around. Here's one. Here's one. Here's one. Here's one. And it's it's a it's a gateway drug to science, is what it is. Speaking speaking of that, tell me about you know you've obviously been studying cicadas for a really long time now. Tell me like when you were a kid, your first experience with with cicadas and just what what caught what what was it about about these particular bugs that fascinated you and took you on this journey? Well, I was born in a cicada year, 1953. Unfortunately, well, not unfortunately because I was born in 1953, but I was not born in time to even appreciate the cicadas, even as a an infant. Uh, we were, I was uh, I was born in North Dakota, mm. and your periodical cicadas don't occur there. So uh, when I by, by the time they came out again in 1970, I was living in Northern Illinois, but Brood 10 wasn't there. Northern Illinois was home to Brood 13. And it wasn't until I started college that I had a chance to really uh, get excited about cicadas. Uh, I uh, uh, became an entomologist in part because of cicadas. My undergraduate professor in entomology was the specialist for cicadas in the state of Indiana, Frank Young. And uh, I was just blown away. This guy loved going to work every single day of his life. And he was having a ball and his, his enthusiasm was infectious. And then he starts talking about these bugs. And it was like, whoa. And I'm a bit of a frustrated historian. So I started thinking, if I use the tools of research for history and applied it to this entomological problem, I might find something new. And that started it. And uh, I started collecting historical records on cicadas, but spent several years as an undergraduate and then into grad school, just collecting historic records. And uh, by the time I finished my PhD, I had about 7,000 records. Dang. And uh, I also had done my, by that time, I had completed my first cicada project. And that's when I mapped out Brood 23 in Illinois in 1976. I have never been the same since. <laughs> well, I have to say, we definitely took... Two completely separate paths in life. I, I got I got obsessed with newspapers. You you got obsessed with the bugs and just look at our two worlds merging together all of a sudden. Like, yep. you know, of course for me I kinda have a a natural aversion to bugs in a polite way to say it. Speaking of how like special this this particular brood is, you know, people that typically aren't interested in bugs, what what do you advise to them to get interested in this special event? Well you can make you can you can be a part of it. Uh, one of the things we're trying to find out this year is where does Brood 10 exist? We want to get a really good map. And so one of the things people can do is uh, download uh, my app, Cicada Safari. And if the cicadas occur in their areas, go out on their own safari, take their kids with them and photograph cicadas and submit them for our live cicada map. Uh, we're trying to get thousands of photographs throughout the entire range of Brood 10 uh, for to create a baseline to see what's the status of the brood. And of course, that's just one way listeners can take part in, in this year's emergence. How else can they participate in this year's emergence? Well, there's a lot of things. If they want to work with their kids, they can go to the cicadasafari.org website, and there's activities for their kids where they can study more about the biology. And then uh, if they've got uh, friends or relatives in Philadelphia, one thing would be nice and interesting, they could ask their friends to see if, if the cicadas are emerging uh, at the Gloria Day Lutheran Church. That's the first time, the first place, and the first time that Drood 10 was reported. And it's like going to the mothership. Are the cicadas <laughs> are the cicadas still there where they were first noted in 1715? I sure hope so. I mean, this is definitely a special year for everyone. And I really, now with my natural aversion to bugs, I, I, I am a little hesitant in taking, you know, taking, indulging in bugs, I guess, in this way. But I am definitely looking forward to to learning more about it. I'm definitely looking forward to 
speaking to you more about all of this. This is going to be a great time, and I, I can't wait to see what, what, could, what goes on from here. We're going to have a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, definitely. Thank you very much, Gene. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Brew 10 Cicada podcast. Our thanks, as always, to our guest expert, Gene Kritzky. You can learn more and assist Gene's cicada mapping efforts by visiting cicadasafari.org. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and feel free to send questions for Gene or recordings of cicada sightings in your area by emailing us at brutex, as in the Roman numeral 10, at wvxu.org, or if you're trendy and have a smartphone, use the Talk to Us feature on the WVXU app. We may include your questions or thoughts in a future episode. This podcast is produced by the always buzzing Josh Elstra. For Cincinnati Public Radio, I'm Corey Sharber, and you've been listening to the Brew 10 Cicada Podcast. We'll talk again next week. Mm-hmm.